like massive fat thick colas that you could have full of seeds that will outperform traditional grain strains um now the, there's there's some pros and cons to this right because you have cannabinoids in there um there is a thc uh could be a thc issue right um let's face it thc is like a stress hormone so the more stressed out she becomes the more thc she's going to produce that could come from below the ground it come from above the ground or it can come from pollination right? hey guys it's mandy with global hemp association i wanted to say thank you so much for joining i'm excited about the opportunity to build a relationship and connect this supply chain I mean, after all, that's why we started the association. Our association was built on the foundation of connecting supply chain, building relationships, and helping you grow your business. Anyone from farmers, manufacturers, and distributors, people that are passionate about the supply chain, and those creating products selling into biofuels, plastics, textiles, construction, and building materials. Well, thank you so much for joining. Do you mind real quick, given a, given a background, how did you get into this? Tell me a little bit about your company, where you're at right now. Um, we'll just dive right in because I've got a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah sure, <laughs> sure. So um, I'm CEO, President and CEO of Botanic Wellness Limited, an Australian IPO company. Keep your fingers crossed, everybody. Uh, we, we should be live on the Australian Stock Exchange at the end of this month or the beginning of next month. Um, it's been a long road uh, as far as that's concerned, as maybe a lot of you are aware, you're aware that um, Australia's, uh, they had an eradication policy when it came to COVID. So uh, Melbourne, Australia, which is um, in the state of Victoria, has experienced over 250 days of lockdown. Very similar lockdown to what we experienced in March of 2020, only they did 250 days. And um, they're just finally, the governments are just finally starting to you know, release a little bit of control, uh, making it a little bit easier for us to list. That being said, we have operations in Australia. Um, we're licensed to grow 200, I'm sorry, 2,500 acres of, um, of hemp in Australia, New South Wales. Uh, this last year, we grew a little over 100 acres, uh, quite a successful grow. And it was awesome. Um, nice to know that a Northern Hemisphere plant can also grow in the Southern Hemisphere. So that was really cool. Um, and then in the United States, we have operations in Arizona, Colorado, Missouri, Texas, Oklahoma, and if I didn't say Minnesota, Minnesota. Um, okay. <laughs> next year, um, we will be in Nebraska as well. Um, I'm currently in Houston, Texas, uh, in the Galleria area. Love it to bits. People here are flipping amazing, and we look to expand here in Texas. Um, we don't sell a lot of our stuff here in the United States. We found that global distribution was a simpler way of doing it. As you're probably all aware, competition here in the United States is pretty tough. So we chose to go a different route and export our goods. Uh, if you have our retail products, it's either I, we gave it to you or somehow you found it on the internet. Um, Anyways, so uh, so yeah, that's uh, being being an international company. It makes it easier for us to distribute internationally, and I'm sure we'll cover a lot more as we go along. Okay, so I'm I'm curious then. How's the journey been as an international company? Talk to me a little bit about what that looks like for those that don't understand, or somebody that's interested in entering the international trade. So first off, you got to get to know time zones. Second of all, you got to fall in love with coffee. Uh, lots and lots of coffee. So <laughs> to gain perspective, um, we, I start my day in Arizona, Pacific Standard Time right now at, you know, let's say 8 a.m. as normal. 
And then my, I have a second part of my day that begins at 3 p.m., which is 8 a.m. Melbourne, Australia time. Mm-hmm. And then dealing with our UK, because we do have operations UK, we sponsored a um, a uh, footy league, uh, soccer for the rest of us, mm-hmm. uh, which was really cool. And uh, in order for us to be on those phone calls, I was up at 3 a.m. in preparation for those phone calls. So you really got to get to know international time zones. Second thing is, is really cool to be to get to know customs. Um, you know, my Australian counterparts, they're amazing. They got a beautiful accent. And um, sometimes because their accents are so fun. I just love I just love listening to them talk. I don't always pick up on social cues that they're actually upset. And so I'm, so I'm laughing and joking. They're like, this is no laughing matter, sir. And I'm like, you know, so it's, it's kind of, kind of an interesting thing. Um, and so, and that goes anywhere, right? So Japan, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, UK, EU, all the same. So just, I don't, you don't have to be an I expert. Think even, I think even from the East coast to the West coast, I mean, there's personality difference that you just uh, agreed on, right? Let yeah, but, yeah, agreed. So if you just take that same thing, just apply it across the planet, um, it's pretty good. I think timing uh, or your schedule is probably the most difficult part of it all. And then being willing to dive into their legal regulations. So the famous saying is, is that Australia is um, – uh, about three to five years, technolo- technology-wise, they're right up with us in about three to five years with um, regulations uh, and, um, and culture. So they're, the CBD in Australia is still regulated like uh, fentanyl, heroin, um, and or cannabis, THC. Um, and, that, and because uh, the devil's cabbage, um, that also that's how they regulate the fiber side of things and the grain side of things. And so um, you have to have very similar licenses. So you just have to be willing to invest a little bit more time, in some cases, a little bit more money um, into navigating that. And because they're so new, they're like, you tell us what we should do. So we did the same thing in the UK uh, in the beginning. Now they're getting their, they're putting their their big boy pants on and they're adulting really well in this industry. Um, and same thing in the EU, um, though there are certain areas like Poland is, you know, it's kind of like the Wild West and France has kind of got their stuff together. So um, uh, just be willing to be patient. Don't rush your, you know, your sale or your order or your relationship. Um, it's going to take you probably an extra 60 days. Then I don't know. I just made that up, but an extra month or two, um, to actually get, uh, uh, to actually have the relationship blossom, make sure that all your regulations are in order. Um, and I find them to have a little bit more of a premium than what we get here in the United States. And that includes fiber grain or your medicine, if you're dealing in medicine. Um, and, uh, and all of that comes as a reward in my opinion for navigating the regulations. Okay. So you call yourself a strategy or have been claimed to be a strategy expert, right? Talk to me about what this looks like, because um, it's something that's not, uh, that we don't talk about a lot in the industry, or there's a lot of people getting into it that just don't consider the long-term strategy. And then there's those that are like, you know, we're getting into real business. We're going to move this forward. Talk to me a little bit about the what you've seen within this industry specifically compared to past experience or other industries you've worked in? 
So, oh, okay. So you're gonna you're gonna have me prove that I am a strategy expert. So okay. So what we so what what we do what we do inside of my company. I have a great team. We run a very uh, a very uh, lean team. There's only seven of us in the United States. Um, so I have Jason, my uh, farm management team, uh, and then I have uh, Amaya Mayat, who is my COO, who has a background in in. Um, BI or business intelligence, um, all and then all the way through. They, we all were kind of, not kind of, we're all entrepreneurs working for the same cause. So if you're familiar with entrepreneurs versus entrepreneurs, so it's an entrepreneur who is working inside of a company, and that has been a really cool dynamic. So the reason why I bring that up is because we break everything on paper first. So we look at everything through the different um, disciplines that everybody brings to the table, and we break it on paper first. We look at what the United States is doing, and then we can anticipate what the globe is doing and then make adjustments. The key is weeding out the bad actors. So unfortunately, inside of our industry, we have had a lot of bad actors. Uh, I call them BSers and liars, and I have other words that I probably shouldn't use on a podcast that I would use right straight to their face. Um, and unfortunately, that has cost our industry a lot of money, a lot of credibility, and it's causing us a lot of, in my opinion, a lot of issues regarding even down to banking, uh, loans, banking, merchant services, and so on. Um, and so um, breaking things on paper first allows you to see where your shortcomings are and allows you to shore them up before they become a problem. So if you're engaged in, let's just pick on the lowest hanging fruit, a banking institution, um, that, uh, you know, you had a bank account with, you can foresee that, look, my tenure with this bank may be short lived. So it's wise to have a couple of bank accounts in, in the wind, in the wings. So therefore if something does happen. It's business as usual. Uh, there was a point in time in 2017 and 2018, correction, 2018, 2019, where we had bank accounts, they discovered we were a hemp and they just canceled us. Um, and, uh, there was nine bank accounts, nine different banking institutions. And it was like I had money in the ether. It was like it was just it went from one cashier's check to another cashier's check to another cashier's check because it didn't take them long to catch on to what we were doing. And it was just enough time for them to hold the money for two weeks because that's what happened. You make large deposits, <laughs> then cancel it. And then we had to get cashier's checks. So it was a rough deal. So what we find is that having multiple bank accounts just as a strategy will help you. Multiple merchant accounts um, and multiple uh, multiple attorneys. <laughs> um it really, it really does help. It really does help. Uh, one of the things that I found people are, it seems to me like people are afraid of utilizing attorneys and fear of uh, having to have a bill. I just have an agreement with my attorneys that, you know, if you're going to charge me for responding to an email, we're not going to be in a relationship. Um, if, you, if it requires you to respond in a dissertation, I totally get it. But if you're just like, yep, meet you at noon and you're charging me for that, it's not happening. And when you develop a relationship with attorneys that way, it makes it easier for you to communicate with them and keeps you out of trouble. The last thing that I'll say about that as well is that, um, is that they, they have to be entrepreneurial. They can't just be an institutional attorney. So they have to actually know what it's like to be an entrepreneur and you give them the what, and they give you the how, and that's the best relationship for attorney with attorneys as well. So I don't, I don't want to create this picture. Like I talk to them every day or every week or every month for that matter, unless they're my friends. Um, I typically check in with an attorney that few attorneys we have on retainer once a quarter. Um, if, if that, so it's not that expensive and a thousand dollars here and there is well worth the investment. So hopefully that answers your question. 
there's a lot of conversations we have about the importance of building the team and not just your immediate board or your advisors, but it also anybody else that you're outsourcing or you're bringing in. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and well, so, so on that, and I apologize. So on that, we don't hire anyone. We curate everybody. So you, I would assert curate your clothing, right? So you have a certain color palette, you know what fits you and you're investing time, effort and energy in finding out what outfit is going to be the cutest or match your body type or match your skin tone. And if you're not doing that, you may want to do that. So yeah, which, you know, I can get away with wearing purple. So um, I think this is purple. Please be purple. Um, the uh, uh, so, uh, so the same way and the way that many people or I'm sorry, many uh, museums curate artwork, right? So, you know, where Mona, where the Mona Lisa sits is where she's going to be. That's it, period. No, hands down, not moving, right? Um, uh, it's That's just how things are. So we actually look at our, our, or observe our coworkers, our team members, the exact same way. Same thing goes with our board members. And same thing goes with something just like we talked about with our attorneys. We develop a culture and like I mentioned before, that was in, that is entrepreneurial in spirit. So they're entrepreneurs willing to work for an entrepreneur. Um, mm-hmm. And so that is a quality we look for. We built a, an amazing uh, foundation document and a culture document that is more or less like our first filter. If you're not willing to participate in our culture this way, because we're up to big stuff and we're going to need to move fast. You know this industry. It's it's rough. It's rough and tough. And what's what's real today is a lie in 30 days. <laughs> So, so, so you gotta, so you have to be dynamic and you have to be able to pick yourself up because you, you may have been invested, uh, those 30 days as like, this is, this is as real as it's going to get as real as my next breath. And it doesn't go through. Um, so that requires something and, um, doesn't mean you have to do it on your own. We're a team, but we do curate everybody. And then the second thing is, is that we also have, I hope we've created, I don't say I, because I didn't do this alone. Anybody who says they did alone is just full of crap. Yeah. And so my whole team is vested. Um, there's many times I have my farmer. I don't know what state he's in half the time. I don't know what state he's in now. I don't, I just don't. But what I do know is that he produces results and he gets the job done and he only contacts me when there's an issue. So if my phone rings, I answer, <laughs> you know, he doesn't call just to shoot the crap or, you know, whatever. So the end of my banter on this is that if, if we all curated our, com- sorry, if we all curated our relationships that way, it would it would allow us to keep our industry free of or at least mitigate the bad actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've I've said for a while collaboration also. The communication, you know, communication between people. What are you doing? What's working? Who are you working with? And it doesn't have to be specific, but it definitely helps to weed out who to who to avoid or what to avoid. Right. There's a lot of pitfalls we make that we just don't have to make. Due to yeah, accidents. Uh, agreed. And, and inside of that conversation of collaboration, there's some ambiguity to the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. So what yeah. we have found inside the curating uh, conversation is we set these are the rules of engagement. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to make it sound like we're perfect. That's not it at all. We've got plenty of black eyes. Um, I mean, we lost 486 acres last year of hemp. Um, unfortunately, there are you know we you know we owed people money. Right. I mean, it just happens. Um, so I don't want to make it sound like we're perfect, but it was through those mistakes. We actually, you know, that we created this. So if we are going to engage in a collaboration, we actually identify what that collaboration is and what yeah. you can expect from me at minimum. Yeah. Uh, what, 
And in this industry, a lot of the bad actors, they bring a lot of noise, a lot of excitement, get you, get you moving. And then when you, when you kind of pin them down uh, inside of what you created as far as a collaboration is concerned, they, it was more like I bring a lot of noise and excitement and you're supposed to do the work. So that's not technically collaboration, but they make it smell that way. Okay. So um, you we talked a little bit about how things have changed for a long time. I've said, you know, this, the plane is flying. We fixed it. We got on, it was flying and we started fixing it and moving it right mm-hmm. In direction. Um, and I do have to give you credit. You know, a lot of where we've come from is being able to move forward through the mistakes and understanding that they're here and anybody that's not, not new to an industry, starting a new industry, there's going to be mistakes and it's going to happen, you know, and how do we come together to be the best on the back end or on the front end so that we are taking care of our farmers and taking care of everybody within the supply chain and yeah, doing right by our, by all of our contracts. Right. And so I commend that it is, it is a level of experience that you brought forward that, gets us to where we are. So with that too, talking about experience, you've given quite a few speeches. What have been some of your favorite topics or topics maybe that we should be focusing on that the industry itself isn't focusing on? So, well, we, we kind of touched on it. It's relationships. So I'm, uh, I've, I have had the blessing of doing over 1700 keynote speeches and I've been on dozens and dozens of more of, of, um, of panels and so on. Um, and the, the ones that seem to get the most attention are not the ones that are like uh, a textbook, right? So a plus B all the way to Z and this is how you do things. Um, my engineers are the crowd or my PhDs are the crowd or in love with it. And the rest of them are just looking at their phone, waiting for the escape. Right. And so, uh, so, but the ones that I, I actually tend to get the most attention are inside of relationship conversations. Mm-hmm. I don't tend to be a relationship guru. I'm not a, uh, what I don't know, a pickup artist or anything like that. I don't want that to be any part of the conversation. And sometimes I do correlate it back, um, which I think has the communication happen. So what I mean is, is that, uh, relate, so relationships are just conversations and our net worth is inside of our relationships. And if we don't, if our, if we look at our relationships and that net worth just isn't there, then it's not that those people are bad or that you shouldn't hang out with them or whatever. You just have to find a different room to play in. Mm-hmm. And that comes down to, so this is where it comes into the relationship comparison. So if you're, uh, as you are, a, a beautiful woman and you are seeking a man of high value, whatever your definitions of are uh, of that are, you're probably not going to find this person in the, uh, you know, in a uh, lower economic status part of town at a Starbucks. Okay. You've got to go where that man is or person. Meet is. them where they're at. Exactly. Exactly. So that could be in some cases, if you're like in, in what, what I do is entertaining uh, financial uh, members of the financial community from investment bankers to brokers to you name it and everywhere in between, uh, I'm finding them at country clubs or on the doggone golf course. I don't have a handicap. I, I, well, I show up handicap and I don't, I can't do, I just can't, I can whack it down. That's what I can do. I just, and then I have to ask them, is that a good place? And they're like, uh, sure. And I'm like, cool. Um, no, and then I, it's not. The, no, it's not. They're just being nice. Like playing scramble. So, 
Right. So, well, my favorite part is driving the cart. Um, yeah, and then I just so happens I have to talk to this person. Um, and uh, so you do have to go where they are. And yeah. in our in our industry, um, it's been difficult because a lot of the a lot of the those that showed up as where you should be were those that kind of got kicked out. Not kind of. They, it was like they got kicked out of you know, the cannabis industry. So they came from California or Colorado and not all of them are bad. Please. There, there, there's a lot of fantastic players in those States, but those that made, made the most noise in the beginning that that showed up as like somebody I would want to meet, let's say at a country club for, for this example. Um, we didn't have anything to reference it to. Right. So it wasn't like we had, uh, you know, a community, their community that we can kind of tap into and say, you know, how is Mandy? You know, what do you know about her? What do you what, what's going on? What, what about Don? How is this guy? Right. We just didn't have that. We had a we had individuals that came out. And we're like, I'm expert in all things that you need to know. And if you put it in the ground and you spray it with this juice, trust me, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. I am oversimplifying an incredibly scary situation that we went through. Uh, right. And, and the whole industry experienced it. And costs absorbent amount of, of money poured into just seeds uh, with a hope and a prayer that they would actually germinate and insert all kinds of stuff. We just didn't have that community. So what we did is we decided, OK, fine, there is no standard. So let's play the standard. And if that if we are the standard, then what who do we want in our community? And so that's when we started pulling in uh, from, well, for instance, Australia. Uh, I didn't I, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm not from Australia. So, you know, I have an Australian accent. So I went and so, I mean, I didn't, I zoomed through, you know, through the power of the internet in 2017 in 2018 it, to uh, Australia. And then, and we pulled these, these amazing people into our circle and then the UK and then the EU. And then that gave us the um, empowerment to then continue to vet those here in the United States. I mean, I met you in Indianapolis yeah. Um, we, we share a couple of mutual colleagues, um, yeah. and through that community, we're able to go, you know what, Mandy's pretty awesome. And that's somebody that I want to talk to. And oh, it just so happens she has a podcast. Maybe we should play in that, but you get what I'm saying. It really does take a community to vet that person. And, um, and so that's what we, so inside of the relationship speeches, I should say, uh, actually lays a lot of value inside of generating your community and more so inside of our industry. You're speaking my language, and this is exactly what I'm passionate about, why I wanted to do what I'm doing and put together what I'm doing is because people do business with people they know and like, right? And if we're trying to fix something that's broken, we're going to lean into who we trust. And I really think that's what happened in the industry in general. People leaned into, you know, my brother's farmer's sister down the street that knew everything about cannabis because he had a crop that now, you know, that, well, they said that's what I was supposed to use and do. And there was no real, like you said, place to vet or figure out or communicate, you know, and collaborate and say what worked and not even just the people, but also to, you know, when do you outsource versus hiring in-house? When, right. you know, what product, what equipment, what, what trucking agency do we use to, to get from Montana to Washington, you know, to Washington, mm -hmm. just little things like that, that I've heard come up and I've been, proud of the conversations that we've been able to, you know, facilitate for that reason, because I do, it's who do we know and who do we trust in the industry and, mm -hmm. you know, access to what they know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I agree hundred percent. And you yeah. know, what was really interesting is when, as you know, as we, we do a lot of farming, 
Um, and, uh, and when, when we talk to the farmers in the beginning, um, though they grow cotton, they grow corn, somehow this was some anomaly inside of industrial agriculture. Um, excuse me, even though it's been around since Christ was a carpenter. I mean, seriously, tens of thousands of years. And so, but somehow in the United States, it has to be done completely different than Canada or Southeast Asia or any other place for that matter, the Netherlands. Um, and somehow, you know, 2,000 plants an acre was somehow supposed to get us over the the industrial hemp hurdle here in the United States. And farmers were like, well, I trust this guy because he seems like it's from agriculture, even though we were coming out and saying, listen, we've got to run eight to 10 pounds in this field if we're going to make it anywhere. And uh, it was really interesting. So those even farmers that know oh, farming, right, they wake up, they they eat, sleep and in dream farming. Um, they were even in, in questionable states as far as how to grow. And we were and many times in our in our early relationships, the farmers, we allowed the farmers to kind of trump the decision, right? I mean, it's their land. It's, you know, yeah. they, they know what they're doing. They, they understand, yeah. uh, you know, agriculture and and uh, in, in in due to that gap in knowledge and they're treating it like marijuana, really, um, created a, a unique dynamic inside of our industry and created a lot of problems for us. Uh, as prices began to fall, we just didn't have the material to keep up or to pivot. Right. So I couldn't take a Christmas tree and turn it into a fiber. Right. It just it doesn't. I mean, there is arguably we could do something. But truthfully, with the market being so young, it nearly had to be in perfect condition in order for us to, to do anything. It was still to this day. Right. Uh, and if I was growing for medicine, I was negating my grain production. So I didn't have the seeds, one for future crops and two for food in the future. So I could I didn't have a fallback or a plan. We didn't have a fallback or a plan beyond that stuff. So. Uh, with those bruises, um, you know, leaning on community, like we said in the beginning, there was just so little data and a lot of and a lot of well, a lot of bad data, I should say, that had us made, make those decisions. Now, now I'm wearing a big boy shirt, and I wear and <laughs> and and, uh, and we've adapted. So now we grow a tri, um, uh, some cases a tri crop, and in many cases a dual crop, meaning for fiber and grain, fiber grain and medicine. And we've uh, we've actually come. Uh, quite, we've bared some really good results, I should say. I almost said successful. It's we're we're getting there. We're getting there. We've bared some very good results. Okay, I want to dive into some of that. So remind me when we come back. But um, well, well, I just want to ask now, and then I'll go back to some of the other things that you said. Um, dual crop and tri crop. I, mm -hmm. There's a lot of debate on what works and what doesn't, and especially for textile grade or high end textile grade compared to some of these others. Can you just briefly talk about some of those yeah. like what is your success what are you finding do you have genetics that you can share yeah yeah sure yeah um so this is where the most hate comes in um <laughs> so it, yeah it, it, those that are watching you you'll say you or afterwards maybe they're not brave enough to put something in now but when we're done and this is posted i promise you the hate will come in on this conversation specifically okay. so um and i'm and so here what, what i want to say is it's what, what I'm about to say is not perfect. Okay. Um, it is, it's not, a, it's not the, um, we're not talking about the sniper, uh, or, you know, or the specialized, uh, um, uh, cannabis plant inside of hemp. Okay. So, um, but it's a good catch all. So I want, it's like a well-rounded player. He, this this player is probably not going to hit home runs every game, but every now and there's one that's hit out of the park, but you're guaranteed to get on base. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. So 
um, what, what we have found is that uh, hemp plants, uh, I'm sorry, uh, CBD hemp plants, let's do that because we kind of we're going to kind of play with identifiers here and they're not technically textbook, but CBD hemp plants, um, certain strains produce major like massive fat thick colas that you could have full of seeds that will outperform traditional grain strains. Um, now the, there's, there's some pros and cons to this, right? Because you have cannabinoids in there. Um, there is a THC, uh, could be a THC issue, right? Um, let's face it. THC is like a stress hormone. So the more stressed out she becomes, the more THC she's going to produce. That could come from below the ground, come from above the ground, or it can come from pollination, right? We can all agree that men do stress out women. Let's just agree to that. Right? Let's just do that. I'm glad so, you can- <laughs> There's, there's hey, hey. <laughs> so, so with that, you know, just like our adrenal glands respond to stress, just consider inside of this analogy, that's what TAC is. So you do have that, you do have that as a factor. However, um, what we have found is that most of, maybe most is a bad word, uh, a lot of uh, CBD strains produce very thick colas, which give us a, an extremely um, uh, good uh, harvest when it comes to grain. Now, because of the grain involved, or maybe even medicine involved, you are going to compromise other things. So if, let's say we're doing a tri-crop, and I got a really fat cola, and this thing is just full of seeds, I'm going to have a diminished rate of return on my on my medicine content. Because as a mama plant, she's going to utilize the sugars to make her babies. Look, daddy left. Daddy did his job and died off, right? So <laughs> mom's got to take care of her own. It's a, hey, look, see relationships. See, I told you. <laughs> and so, so, and and so she uses all of her money or all of her sugars to um, to support her babies, right? So you're gonna have diminishing rate of return on her cannabinoids. So you, we can argue that if you were growing specifically for cannabinoids, this isn't the thing for you, right? But when you're growing for cannabinoids, grain, and then we also have fiber. Fiber. When I say fiber, we're not talking high quality. Right. You know, it's old age fiber. So when you and I met in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think we had a, you were like, hey, I need fiber. I'm like, great. I but have it. And, and yeah. it's, and let's, but let's define what fiber is, right? Mm-hmm. That's, so that's the only conversation that you need to have. So mm-hmm. my fiber or my herd, which is aged, which is the aged sticks, right? Uh, for those yeah. that may be new to this, um, is, is, uh, has limited application. But for those that has application for, I have money. Yeah. Um, for my grain, yes, my grain does diminish my medicine content, but I have a boatload of grain. So I can now, I can now, I have for my own crops, I have future crops, right? Um, and then I also have, which brings down my cost of farming. And then, and now I can feed the food market or, or hemp oil market. And I now have it. I'm not just leaning on medicine or I'm not just leaning on fiber. So if something goes wrong, I have something that at minimum in our experience, we're able to break even or make a little bit of profit in worst case scenarios. So like I shared with you, 486 acres was gone. Uh, just, it was just terrible. It was a, uh, in Lubbock, Texas, it was, we had problems with our, with our wells. They went through a drought and then all of a sudden mother nature got really irritated and rained, then snowed, then it iced, then it rained again, and then it snowed and we just couldn't do anything about it. Um, and we, we avoided tornadoes. It was really cool. Like the tornadoes came in and then they just kind of like, well, we won't affect this hemp crop. And then it came back down and kept going. And we we're like, cool. The universe has got our back. We, we Somehow we, we paid dividends. 
great. And then that happened. Look, I'm being facetious, but we also had another four, uh, 500 plus acres um, in, in the ground that with because we did grow dual crop at the time okay. was enough for us to break even. Um, now we didn't make money. Nobody became hemp billionaires. I've never met a hemp billionaire, by the way. I just never have. <laughs> And, and but but we didn't lose our butts and we were able to take care of our farmers as well. So um, so hopefully that answers the question. It really does. It, it's not a it's definitely not specialty. And if you're looking at individual categories, if somebody is specialized, you're going to beat us. You just are. Um, and at the same time, though, you don't have access to or those that do grow with a specialty one, let's just say medicine, you don't have access to those other markets. Um, to benefit from. And the last thing I'll say about that is, is that because we've chosen to do this, um, there are growing, you know, we have a mutual friend. She asked me, she said it was okay that I shout out to her, Eloise Fritzkorn, who is an, <laughs> she's awesome. She's super amazing. I, we, I laughed my tail off with her yesterday. We went to, we, we went to this uh, little cafe called Annie's Cafe. They have these, uh, watermelon margaritas that are sinfully delicious and um and we just laughed our tails off it was so much fun awesome. anyways uh yeah yeah it was awesome so she okay, has I'll go down i'll go down and visit maybe it'll yeah, be there. yeah i'm here i'm here every other week so if, we, the if there's something let's meet up yeah. um but with that so she's she's got a she's working with a gentleman who has no joke has legit machinery on deck to make hemp straws um, hemp plastic straws. Mm -hmm. And now they're, they're a couple weeks out, dare I say, they're, they're still fine tuning their formulation. Mm -hmm. And I've got an overabundance of raw material. So I've got hammered uh, herd and I'm like, how do you want it, homie? Right? I'll give yeah. it to you. Let's just yeah. somehow make this thing happen. It saves him cost. They're on a bootstrap. And they may be able to in the next few weeks, maybe a couple of months, nothing solidified between us, but I'm just gifting it to them. So hopefully, you know, it works out. Look, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't have the extra material. And that helps out somebody in our industry that could give us an outlet. Um, well, and you know, forget the storage cost of some of this product, right? Oh, Everybody yeah, says, right. great, well, I'm going to go after fiber, but okay, well, have you considered the other products and where they're going? Well, no. Well, what about the dust? I mean, that alone, right. it can be a real issue and it's a product right. that you've got to find somewhere to take it. And so I do, right. I think that if you're after one product and that's where your profit margin is and you get rid of it, being able to now, because then ultimately it will create a revenue stream for you and a, a steady, steady offtake agreement potentially on. Right. Offtake, the magic word, right? I heard a lot about those in 2018, never saw one, but I heard about them. Yeah. Uh, it was like, yeah, it was like chasing Bigfoot. Um, and, and now in 2021, going into 2022, believe it or not, I don't want to say off takes, but forward contracts are coming to the, to, as a matter of fact, I'm entertaining a couple. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's showing up, which grows, which has our, has our industry experienced more legitimacy. Um, and you know, when we do grow a dual crop, let's say that my futures contract is on aged fiber. So herd. Well, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna give that crop a haircut, and I'm gonna take that. Maybe I use it for medicine, or maybe there's good seeds in there. I don't know. I'm just making up a scenario here. But uh, so I fulfilled my forward contract, and I get everything else. So then everything from there is gravy. And uh, and you know, if we if we can all take this on, 
um, it, it really does. It really helps you or helps uh, helps your business and helps the industry because now there's it's chicken or the egg. We've heard it a million times. Mm-hmm. It, it would be great to have industry, but we don't have raw material. We don't have raw material because there's no industry. So mm-hmm. we're just so we're just producing. <laughs> I hope we're right. We are producing enough raw material. It's one of those things. If you build it, they will come. And I think that's it's worked out pretty good so far. <laughs> that's those scary words. And it's 50-50. Mm-hmm. People are like, that's not how it works. I'm like, yes, that is how it's going to work. Right. <laughs> I'm going to push it into working that yeah. way. And I know other yeah. people are too. So that's awesome. Hey. Uh, yeah. We have more pride than sense. So here we go. <laughs> we're going to just do it. I'll just ride your skirt tails right along with you. <laughs> I'm in there too. So you said something earlier when we were talking about pounds of seeds that you're using compared to number of seeds, right? And we talked okay. then later we're talking a little bit about how production changes and volume and not just you know the size of the seed that that it, it just changes how many pounds per or how many seeds per pound. Um, do you see the industry or I guess a call out to the industry to get away from using pounds per acre or pounds per meter compared to square cubic meter, I guess, compared to um, inches? Yeah. So, yeah. Seed number of seed count. Right. Yeah. So so when when. When we got started in this industry, I, I've, I've known you in the industry for quite a while. And, yeah. and so when we first started, it was like if you did 10,000 plants an acre, it was like blasphemy. Like, how is that even what are you doing? I don't even I don't even know why you're you're not even real. Uh, this, is, this is stupid. Um, and so, and so I, that's the best thing I can do in, instead of perturbed. Oh, anyway, so the, uh, and, um, and what we did is on our first crop is we, uh, my, my farmer, uh, Jason Norman, great guy. Uh, he said, um, you know, uh, there isn't anything industrial that'll plant, uh, you know, 10, 8,000 or 10,000 plants an acre. And I'm like, well, what's the minimum? And we went and talked to the, the our farmers, and they were like, listen, man, I, we don't even know. We we put, you know, they run 400 pounds of of seeds per acre when it comes to alfalfa. They're just they are in bewilderment, and they're trying to. It's like we all became like architects trying to figure <laughs> trying to figure out the, the the just drip lines and irrigation and how many seeds. So we did we did one pound an acre, and then we discovered that that was kind of a pain in the butt. Within three weeks later, we went two pounds an acre. Now, mathematically. Yeah, how many seeds are a pound, and what's your germination rate typically when you do something like that? Oh, so that was, oh, awesome. Great question. So, um, so with the, so every strain has different size seeds, right? So, um, but they're in in between 24,000, 25,000 seeds per pound. Um, now know that we use primarily CBD type strains that we're utilizing for our fiber and our grain and everything. Uh, we do have, um, fibrous strains. Um, but we, but that's more or less like a, like a, some sort of R and D project versus anything else. Nonetheless. Um, so we did about 50,000 plants an acre. And, and when we did this, we're talking, you know, this is 2019. So this is like June, June, July, 2019. We had, we had people come to the crop. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to give names. I swore I wasn't going to give names. There was a particular company that was one of the bad actors in the industry raised 60 something million dollars. And we found a video online that was been taken down of our crop that they had sent to their investors um, to show the results that they were producing. The reason why was because it wasn't seen before in the United States. However, you go to Canada or Netherlands, they're like, yeah, that's, that's too little. I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and here's what, so all of that to say that 
um, even at 50,000 plants an acre with roughly an 85% germination rate. So it's between 80, 85% is actually reliable. Um, that's, uh, that's something that we can produce nearly all the time, unless we're dry plot. So if it's a dry plot, meaning we're relying on rain to come in, that's, those numbers are all over the place. But if we have irrigation, whether it be flood subsurface or like a linear pivot or a pivot, um, our, the germination rate is pretty high. The reason why is because, um, uh, anything above ground will emulate mother nature. So especially if you have a sprinkler system, which is what we do, we sprinkler to germinate and then we water through whatever infrastructure is there or an overhead, it emulates mother nature. So it, it'll, it'll pat the, the seed down a little bit, it compact the, uh, the surface of the, of the soil and then mother nature being rainstorms, you know, it really, it emulates and they love it. Uh, all of the plants love it. So it's between 80, 85%. Now, mind you, we don't get that all the time, um, but we're pretty happy with about a 65% germination rate. Now, you have to understand that when you put 10 pounds out there, and my farmer just got a hold of me and he says, listen, in 2022 season, we're going to 15 pounds an acre. So he, he says, that's what we're doing. So that's what we're doing. But 10 pounds an acre, that's a lot of seeds, right? Mm -hmm. So we're looking at you know 250,000 seeds an acre. So when you have 65% germination rate, trust me, you can barely tell a difference. Thank goodness my, my farmer knows. I wouldn't know. I'm just like, it's pretty and it smells good. Um, and so, um, so, and so there's a couple things here. What we discovered is that hemp loves warm hugs. So in a windstorm, it leans on each other. When it gets cold, it has its own environment. So those of us or, or those of you that are from the Midwest or back east or northern uh, northern parts of the United States, um, if you don't want frost on your windshield in the morning, you just park underneath a tree. Uh, I mean, really, that's just what you do. So it does the same thing. Also, when you plant so tightly together uh, or such a high volume, they uh, they protect each other um, by producing their canopies that mitigate the weeds for you. So you so pest so um, you know limited in uh, in your in anything that you need inside of your soil for mitigating your your pests your 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 weeds. Um, you know, in parts of Texas, they have Monsanto resistant pigweed. It is resistant to everything except for fire. And so, and um, after week five, um, hemp will, after about week five, maybe week six, depending upon what time of year you, you grow, uh, hemp will put about 12 inches on in height in a week. Um, and so, therefore, it begins to grow above the pigweed in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases, and it starts to choke out the sunlight. So, therefore, they die. We don't get paid to put sunlight on soil. You put sunlight on soil and you're going to grow something else that you weren't planning on growing and or it's going to require a lot of hand labor in the field. So because we grow so thick, we've mid, we've eliminated hand labor uh, on most of our fields. Some of our fields, it still makes sense to run some hand labor. The last thing that I'll say about it is, is that you can run it with conventional equipment. It doesn't require some hemp invention. And I know I have some good friends who are inside of in, inside of, you know, hemp agricultural equipment. So plug your ears. I don't mean to... <laughs> say anything but there when you do grow it this way um there you mitigate a lot of the need for hemp specific equipment so yeah. um and big agricultural machines um they they can buck the material for you it will uh you can harvest you we use a lot of a lot of them i i mean my our combine is so fantastic she's her name's bertha she was born in 1976 and she does everything we need her to do um, so she, she pulls everything out of the field. She, 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 she separates the seeds from the stems. She does everything we need. It was like a $10,000 investment with the equipment that we have on the front. And we're able to do that. Now that's duplicatable. 
So any farmer that we engage in that we contract, they ha- most of the time, not all the time, they have the equipment already available that's yeah. needed to actually harvest this. Now, we can always argue, and I'm, this is probably the second part of the hate that we'll receive inside of the comments, but the you know the, there is equipment that does a better job than a combine, 100% agree, and possibly more efficient. The my but that's not my Cost. my it, that's not yeah exactly that's not my part of the story. My part of the story is how do we scale? How do we mitigate? How do we reduce cost, mitigate risk, and and actually have a viable industry? Now, as we grow, as we can take loans on our crops, as we can get flipping insurance, then it then it to me it seems worthwhile to buy specialty equipment specifically for hemp at that time. Until then, we got to get there. But a lot of the strategy that I hear is not about recreating the wheel or going after empty acreage. It's who has this existing equipment? Who has a drill? You know, and I was going to ask you, are you yeah. tilling or are you drilling when you're, you know, planting seeds? Are you? So it just depends. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it just depends. Right. So if we're, if we are, um, if there's a cover crop, we're drilling, right. This just makes sense. Um, if it's, if it's a no-till, which, which is a awesome fad, but I, let me not say fad. That's terrible. It's an awesome movement is no-till. Um, we're reducing greenhouse gases. It's so great for the environment. Perfect. It's amazing for the soil. Um, you know, we're not, we're not having to blast it with the, you know, all the things the devil could think of, um, just to, you know, just to get rid of, uh, the weeds that seem to be non-killable. And, um, and so, um, you know, that requires a drill. Um, and then for those that do till, which, you know, Hey, we, we go with that method. That's fine. Um, we, you know, planners work perfect, right? So, um, we, we go, we work with the farmer, we work with the land. And what we've actually found is that we are, we've been able to entice farmers to begin the conversation of organic farming, um, with hemp. Now, the reason why is because every, I'm going to piss more people off. The way, (laughs) the way, the way that we farm here in the United States, I call welfare farming. And that's what usually that's a trigger word is welfare farming, right? So the bankers, the the bankers decide what you grow, how much you grow, when you grow it. And, um, and and what the cost is going to be. Exactly. And, and, and then there's subsidies, right? So if you have a bad crop, which is typically, well, let me say this. I have farmers that are like, listen, we can do everything right. We can have a great crop and still lose money. So if it wasn't for the subsidies, they wouldn't be able to do it. And there's a lot of people that won't switch. Because they have subsidy. Why would I switch? I'm right. guaranteed my money. I'm guaranteed yeah. bare minimum. Why would I go out and work my butt off so that I could maybe make a little bit more? Right. And that comes out of this side of the mouth. And then this side of the mouth is you're buying drinks because I'm broke as a joke. Yeah. So, um, and, and it's it's real, right? So, uh, and, you know, if that was the only way I knew how to take care of my family, you know, I would be Get questionable it. as well. So the way that we do it is we're like, listen, I'm not saying run your whole farm this way. And right? they're not all this way. I want no, to they're not. No, okay. they're not. I'm not no. blanketing everyone because there are a lot out there that are doing great and are, yeah, have this different mindset. But I see where, especially in the U.S., we're stuck in this trap, and it's not Agreed. just farming. It's all jobs, right? Uh, agreed. Yeah. And so, and I mean, how many people do we know that complain about their jobs and then they've been there for 10 years and the same complaint's been there for the last 9.5, right? So it's the same thing, but, and my goal is not necessarily, look, if I have to sell them into it, it's probably not going to go well. I'm looking for those that see the opportunity from an entrepreneurial perspective, actually being an entrepreneur in farming, 
I know that seems like an oxymoron, but we have gotten so far away from that with our subsidies and institutions, it's very difficult. So it hasn't been beneficial or profitable for these farmers to grow organic or make the switch to organic. They've been thinking about it, but you know, there's it's hard to gain money that way. And they have and there's so many years they have to go by before it can be registered as organic. And so they're like, well, do I just let it go feral for five years? You get the whole math problem. Yeah, yeah. So, but we can begin that conversation with hemp. Why? Because we're it's phytoremediation. Now, will they still get their hemp certificates faster? No. But we're jump starting the process. So those that they're so the the fields that they're willing to take, maybe it's just a pivot. Maybe it's, I don't know, a 120-acre pivot. That's it. That's all we need, right? And then we start the conversation. They're learning organic farming. Um, At the same time, we're growing a non-subsidized beneficial crop. So the plant's amazing. I I know we don't have to go into this too far. I'm sure everybody knows. But if you really think of it from a phytoremediation standpoint, all the devils they put into that soil, we're going to suck out. Now, it's not going to come out in the first crop and it may not be out in in five crops, but it's coming out. Yeah. And and uh, and so, you know, we're doing a great service for the farmer. And because of the opportunities of the entrepreneurial uh, inside of our farming is a really good enticer. I don't recommend anybody go into this thing going, yeah, I'm going to shoot a thousand acres into the ground. I just think it's foolish. Um, it just really is. And get your feet wet with enough acreage to make your tummy turn. And, uh, and, and that's, and it'll, it'll, it, the odds are in your favor to go very well. Yes. I agree with you. So I have so many more questions and could keep talking to you and we're almost out of time. We only have about 10 more minutes. But I want to ask you real quick, opportunities, biggest opportunities that you see for domestic versus global, right? Mm-hmm. Or for both where, you know, and also trying to consider, you know, where on a global scale, do you see who's leading the charge? What are they, what are they getting into? Is it plastics versus textiles? And can you kind of speak right. on the scale? Whew, there's a lot there. We've got yeah, what, 11, 11 minutes. All right. So, um, okay. So internationally, uh, what's hot right now is medicine. So in the United States, if it wasn't for the D8, D10 craze, um, or even D9 for that matter, uh, we, you know, there would be a massive surplus. And I think we'd continue to see a crash inside of our medicine market. So as much as I will have an opinion about D8, D10, thank you. And most of the world is not there. They're back where we were when we were convincing the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the Senate that we wouldn't smoke this stuff, that we were going to be consuming it like this. That's where they are. So medicine is at a premium. Um, and, uh, and so your margins are a little better. So because we're producing at high volumes and inexpensive, I mean, I produce – um, you know, we produce our, or so let me say this differently. We sell our cannabinoids, our isolates somewhere between, uh, 295 and 305. And, and we are able to go lower than that here in the United States. Well, if you just, if you just, um, if you just take that down the line a little bit and turn that into a retail product, I, we're making two, three, four, 6,000% markup, um, in foreign markets. So that's UK, EU and Australia that, um, most of that, UK, EU, they're more box stores or like boutique stores. Uh, Australia's still on the pharmacy market. So CBD still kind of sold like kind of through a dispensary here in the US. But Southeast Asia with topicals, not ingestibles, topicals, a good investment in topicals. And you're going to run. I mean, it will spread like wildfire. Uh, we screwed up and we've, we've done topicals in Southeast Asia. And the math is 
uh, inventory without money equals bankruptcy and money without inventory equals bankruptcy. We are like right in the middle. Um, and, uh, and what's a good problem to have? I mean, it's fantastic, yeah. right? We just didn't think that it was going to be that popular. Yeah. So foreign markets in the U S um, look, I don't know if it was a COVID lockdowns. I don't know what it was, but um, it just seems that in order for us to move medicine, it has to have a stimulant in it. And in our industry, that tends to get you high, right? So it has to have a disassociate or a psychoactive result in this. So um, I have my own opinions of this, and I'm not, I don't want to get into that because it still can be considered medicine. But because of the speed in which we went to market, mm-hmm. those, let's say that uh, the bad actors are still in the industry and it's not being done appropriately. There's mm-hmm. no oversight, and there's only a couple of labs in the United States and actually test it. Um, I mean, leaving anything behind, let's say uh, right. pesticides. Uh, I mean, you're doing more harm than good. Uh, you're, I mean, the chemicals that they use to crash this stuff is insane. Insane. Most of it requires licenses to produce, uh, to to purchase, I should say. Well, and again, not necessarily the Delta Eight that's the concern as much as how it's made or the residuals. That's exactly right? it. And then, right. how, what else is it binding to, or how is it making the effects of your other chemicals? Because it's not Delta Nine. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Right. Or, yeah. And yeah. then my my other my other. Um, Ah, my, my other issue with it, we'll just say, because I am a huge supporter of medicine, okay, 100% from a medicinal yeah. purpose, 100% I you want me as a cheerleader, okay? Um, what I don't like about it is, is that we, as soon as, as soon as it, as soon as it seemed to be that we kind of got settled, well, we're not even settled, as soon as the states, as soon as states got settled into, okay, it's gray, let's see how it goes, um, you know, like Florida or Texas, it was like, okay, fine. Let's emulate everything that a child would want to consume, right? So let's do Skittles. Let's do, um, let's do gummies. gummies. You, yeah. you, I mean, it's you've seen it. Cookies, everything, right? Mm-hmm. And and so that's I understand. It's a different vehicle than an adult. Adult likes sugar too. I get that. And um, and we're not considering the children. So in my opinion, uh, it's got to be regulated like a behind the counter. Uh, situation. So just like you buy alcohol or cigarettes, same exact way, and you don't make it appealing to children. Uh, it's my personal opinion, probably fourth time we're going to get hate on this thing, but just stop <laughs> appealing to, to children, really. I mean, gummies, um, we, we actually do produce a, a retail CBD product. Um, it does have different colors, but they're not fun shapes. Right. So they're typically oblong or they are a uh, square cube. So um, different colors just emulate flavor. Right. Or just give a, you know, one is raspberry, one strawberry. You get what I'm saying. And we really do. And it's in a dark bottle. It's not see through. So we actually have to open the bottle, dump it out in your hand to get your favorite flavor. So I'm not saying that this is that we're superior in any way. It just follows our principles. And, and it's the fastest way to stop the success of D8 is to get in the hands of children and, and cause hospitalizations. I think the FDA just came out with their cautions. I think you posted it actually on LinkedIn on their cautions on it. And uh, and I think the fastest way to ruin a good thing is to do something like that. The second thing is, is that because we, there is no standard to how to produce D8, D10, and then this new invention, THC, oh, like get out of town, get out of town. Um, it's, uh, and it's an invention. It's synthesized. So yeah, yeah. It, talk about, talk about orbiting the planet. So, um, my experience is like Adderall and like 
methamphetamine while observing a, a heroin addict. It is, in, it's insane. I, I've never done it, but I see, I've seen people that do it. I'm like, <laughs> why? <laughs> Man, we, maybe we should talk. Maybe you got something going on that we need to talk about. And I'd rather talk to you than see you orbit the planet. So the, the point is, is that um, is that we run with this. Oh, it's the newest, latest, greatest cannabinoid. And we run with it. And um, the industry well, runs I with it. it came, I, came, I, I believe a lot of it was accelerated by the drop in the CBD market. Everybody has this massive amount of product. What do we do with it? And now we can sell something and make up for the millions of dollars that we invested in the extraction facility that never came to. Right. Or whatever it was that was lost, right? right? And take this right. product and now turn it in, especially in the medical space, right? If, um, yeah, so there's a lot there that. Yeah. And so, and I, so to answer the question without going on that tangent, I do apologize is I do think with responsibility, that is a future. Now look, it's C need, fill a need, right? So if, if D8 and, and D10 are outlawed or this new THCO or THCV is in Victor is outlawed, there's others that will be synthesized. Yeah. So, and I would assert the farther down we go down that chain, the more we bastardize the uh, the compounds, the more dangerous they're going to be to human consumption and or alien. Right? Um, it's just because they're synthesized, the body. I mean, our our uh, our receptors. Are, this isn't something they're accustomed to. Right? So um, now we're introducing something new or synthetic to the body, and this is something we said we weren't going to do as an industry. Right? So we were doing this to combat you know, heroin addiction and other opioid addiction, right? And yet it seems like the stimulants are powerful enough to, or we could get to a point where they're powerful enough to be in the same category and synthesized, not natural. Well, and I so, think what happens when we're outlawing flower or the herb, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I, I understand it. I get it. I get isolating it because then you can patent it, right? You right. can't patent on the flower. So I understand the pharmaceuticals, but understanding that by, requiring and Utah is this way, you cannot put flame to flower and you cannot sell flower certain ways. It's very restricted, right. so forth, especially CBD flower, unless I think it's in a dispensary and there who's going to walk to a dispensary to buy CBD flower at $80 an eighth or however much it is, right? A quarter. Right. So I guess my concern now is we turn it almost to a narcotic. Right. right? Now my kids have access more readily to dab because dad is readily available and it's right. more legal or more acceptable because it's this medical. And so, yeah. And, and equally right. as much, how do we get the medicine to people who are not avid users when mm -hmm. a product like that is so much stronger? Um, right. and so, yeah, there's all these pieces to it that I, yeah. Agreed. So, and with responsibility and integrity inside of our, inside of our industry, that is, that's our sustainability. Maybe yes. not our future, okay. but our sustainability. So, and we can't forget about CBD. We can't forget about CBC, CBN, you name it. We can't forget about those cannabinoids, right? That's, I mean, because they really do good things for people. And um, D8, in my opinion, or the new, the, the, the new fads of THC, um, I, I gave us access to still produce other cannabinoids or medicine at a, at a less expensive rate. Let's face it up until recently. Well, maybe it still is. It's a white collar, uh, medicine, right? So it really, it just is. Um, and so our goal, our company's goal, maybe the fifth time we get hate is to make cannabinoids as inexpensive as vitamin C. We're not there yet. I don't know how I would assert by 2025, we probably should have it nailed, um, which means it's accessible to everybody. Yeah. Um, and uh, the fear that I have is dabbling in these 
other cannabinoids that are going to cause more problems for us giving medicine to those that are in need. Yeah. A cancer patient that needs, you know, that needs four grams a day right now, it's not sustainable, just isn't. So, um, and the, the, the fads could interrupt our progress into making four grams a day, you know, $10 a day or $4 a day or something like that um, to help with whatever they are, they're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, okay. So to sum it up real quick, we have only two more minutes, but tell us where you're headed and how do people get in touch with you if they want to get involved or if they want to collaborate? Yeah. Um, well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a big deal on, on LinkedIn. Um, that's, that's, a, that's kind of a lie, but um, LinkedIn, I respond on LinkedIn. I think that's how you and I communicate yeah. I, I, on LinkedIn. Um, any questions, info at botanicwellnessusa.com. Um, if you go to our website, we're going through a rebrand. So any constructive criticism, not hate would be awesome. Um, and just love to hear from people. Uh, we have a great team, Jeremy Magoon. He, he heads our customer service. Phenomenal guy. Uh, you call for cannabinoids, but I promise you, you're going to be talking about your kids within five minutes. He's just a great guy. Um, or he's sharing you without his son. He's got a little redheaded boy. Who's just a, a ball of energy and fire. Just amazing. And, uh, and yeah, so we're here to help. Look, we're not one of those companies that's asking for a check before I help you. We've been known to fly across the country and visit farms that are in trouble just because we want our industry to survive. Now, that isn't always the case. We can't always do that, but we've been known to do it. So we're here to help. Um, we have some good SOPs. Um, we were able to share tidbits of those SOPs to help you along. We're willing to do what it takes to get our industry going. We can't do it by ourselves. Many can't do it by ourselves. Um, we need, it takes a community. It really does. And we are in our infant stages. We just started, we, we're discovering how to walk. It, an infant falls over 400,000 times before they discover how to walk. Um, we're about halfway through that. And so it takes a community to get us there. Uh, JC said, yes, Texas, please. I think you missed earlier that he's in Texas actually right now and we were giving some shout outs. So I'll definitely get you connected, JC. Mm -hmm. Um, awesome opportunity down there. I've heard lots of good things. I'm interested too, where the biofuels is going to go down there. Right. Right. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard a lot of rumblings. I'm still looking for him. I've heard a lot of rumblings. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, well, thank you so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate you. Um, I will definitely reconnect here pretty soon so that I can help. I'd love to help share the message and get, like you said, those a little bit of information out that's more easily accessible to farmers um, and help share that message. So I wouldn't mind collaborating with you there and get get you out there. So anyways, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, everybody else. We'll be back next Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. And then next week we have an event in Salt Lake. For those of you that are listening in Salt Lake, it's about sustainable building and how hemp plays a role in that. So I'm really excited. Actually, be hosting something live, face to face. Do some Ooh, and brave. Look yes, at you. Yes, yeah, I'm getting out there. You know. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, thanks very much, you guys. Yeah. I'll talk to you tomorrow.